uh, in any way out of a desire to flatter me. But if you desire being in, uh, if you enjoy being in the worship service, uh, if you enjoy being a part of the sermon and the music and on and on, would you raise your hand? <laughs> cool, me too. Uh, these people that teach our children during church hour, they are taking on a service for Christ. They, as you probably saw, they walk out of this room and they spend this hour with children rather than enjoying this time. And so I would just encourage you when you, uh, oftentimes you'll see the teachers come up, be with the kids, the helpers come up, just give them a, uh, a shot of encouragement once in a while as they serve our whole church family. It's really a big ministry. And for those of you who do that, but you're off this week and you get to be in here, welcome. And uh, thank you for all your work. Please turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. begin today at verse 9. <clears throat> I think it would be really good. We've been doing this about every other week, and I think we should keep doing it. Is why don't we uh, read together through these Beatitudes. Uh, I am reading from the NIV, and so if you've got a different version, just uh, be careful. It's not that much different, I'm sure, but uh, we can read together. We'll start at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's holy word for us today. You probably caught which one we're on today. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Let's ask the Lord for help as we desire to become peacemakers. Holy Spirit, will you please come now and give us warm hearts to receive your truth. Prevent us from being like the rocky soil where we hear your word, but it does not grow up 
in our hearts. Give us tender hearts, soft hearts, pliable hearts now. We need you. We thank you for being with us here now in our very presence. We ask you to be our teacher. Amen. <clears throat> if you're looking at your sermon outline this morning, you're thinking, wow, we've got a lot to cover. Uh, some of these points we're just going to whiz right through. Uh, and so I would encourage you to get your pen, pencil out, and be ready to make tracks together. First of all, we need to talk about what kind of peace is being spoken of here. Uh, as you know from previous sermons, the word peace can, can uh, connote different things in different contexts. Uh, there is such a thing as the peace of God, which is what we're talking about when we talk about our hearts need peace. We need to rest. We need to feel comfort. Uh, and God offers us that peace. But today, from Matthew 5.9, the context determines that it's probably speaking more here about the peace that means an absence of hostility between two parties that are in a disagreement. So there, point one, a peacemaker is one who seeks to bring reconciliation between people who are in a disagreement. A peacemaker. You know, I know, that there is more than enough disagreement in the world around us. And uh, sometimes I'm not sure that our uh, fellow churches always help that process as we proclaim that we're going to have a burn the Quran day. I think Jesus weeps over that as it's done in his name. Christians have not always been the best peacemakers, uh, and yet sometimes they have been. But we as a church family are called today, we are being addressed by God to be the kind of people who seek to bring reconciliation into the world, to bring parties together where we can, and especially among the Christians of this church family, we're called to peace. Number two, our God is a peacemaking God, and we are called to imitate his heart. That is the motive for why we would even try to seek to bring peace into different situations. That God is a peace lover, a peacemaker, a peace-seeking God. If you look at uh, Matthew 5, 9, again, Blessed are the peacemakers. Why? For they will be called sons of God. That is, if you are truly a son or a daughter of God, you will have a character that is similar to his. And uh, that will ring true at the last day when we stand before the throne of Christ to give an account of our lives. If he sees his character in us, he will recognize us as his sons and daughters. And so if we have made efforts in life to extend, bring peace to people, uh, 
that is evidence that you are born again. That is evidence that you are truly God's son or daughter. So we seek to imitate our Heavenly Father. I'm excited to uh, look at this point three, uh, a great example of a peacemaker. If you would turn in the book of Acts to chapter 9, starting at verse 22. Now, many of you know the story of Saul in the book of Acts. He was a zealous Jew uh, in his day, and he was so passionate for the Lord that when this new group of wackos came along and started attacking Judaism, Saul went against them full throttle. He was going to take them out and arrest them, and even some of them to have killed. So Saul was a zealous Jew who was persecuting the way, or this new sect called Christians. And uh, we pick up the story that, well, hold on. First of all, he, on the Damascus Road, Christ bumps heads with him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul is knocked over by the glory of Christ, basically, and is blinded. Well, long story short, Saul becomes a follower of Jesus Christ and is commissioned to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He begins preaching almost right away. Let's pick up in verse 22 of chapter 9. <clears throat> Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers, that is, Paul's followers here, who are all following Jesus, but his followers took him by night and lured him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Why? Pause. Why are they having a hard time throwing their arms around Paul and saying, Oh, brother in Christ, come on into our church. Fellowship with us, Paul. Why? Why was that so hard? Well, this was the guy who stood in authority over Stephen's death as a Christian. Stoned to death at the authority of Paul. So their trust is a little bit shaken in this guy. That's a problem. What's going to happen here? <clears throat> Verse 27 happens. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. 
So what was the result of that? So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, which was where Paul was actually from. How is it that Saul slash Paul came to be accepted by this early church when they were so scared of him? There was a man named Barney. Oh, Barnabas. Reminds me a little bit of Barney because he was so warm and so encouraging. In fact, his name means son of encouragement. But here was Paul, Saul, and here was the Christians. And there was a schism or a division, a problem between them. And in the middle of them stepped Barnabas. And Barnabas said, hey guys, the Lord Jesus showed up to him, knocked him off his horse, called him to be a Christian, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. You, Christians, need to embrace him. You need to bring him in to this family and allow him to preach in Jerusalem. And what's the result? Barnabas' little effort to step in between results in huge eternal results, right? Paul now becomes the greatest missionary, many say, in the history of the world, going to all kinds of places to carry the gospel. If it weren't for the Apostle Paul and his ministry, would you and I be sitting here today? Possibly not, except God's sovereign, so yeah, but you know what I mean. Paul was huge for that. But he needed to be linked with the Christians in Jerusalem. They had to give their approval to this. Otherwise, they would have been doomed from the start. So Barnabas is an excellent example of a peacemaker. In the early church, they needed peacemakers. Sometimes we look back on the book of Acts and we think they did everything right back then. If only we could go back to that time and be just like them. Well, what part of them? <laughs> they were broken too, just as we are. But certainly like Barnabas, right? Certainly like Barnabas here. If you need an example of a peacemaker, that's a great one to keep in mind. <clears throat> now, the rest of the sermon is uh, going to be extremely practical. And there's all these different things that came to my mind about what needs to happen to be a peacemaker. And um, we're not going to be able to stay on any of them for a real long time. But they're all important. So, starting number four, thoughts to keep in mind as you seek to become a peacemaker for God. And this is so important, especially today. Um, raise your hand 
if you have been a part at any time in your life of what is called a church-wide split. You've been a part of a church family that just went kablooey and went two ways. Okay, some. Painful? Painful. Uh, that's the stuff that nightmares are made out of, I think. At least it would be for me. And so, not necessarily are those splits always because people were not peacemakers. There can be legitimate reasons for parting ways, but too often in Christian churches today, the reasons are petty. And people ditch churches or shop for churches for petty reasons. And sometimes it's because feelings are hurt that never get reconciled. So we need to be peace-loving people, seeking peace, promoting peace. Okay. Now, get your Bibles ready. We're going to go to Titus, which is right after Timothy, running to Timothy. Very small book. Titus chapter 3. Starting at verse 9. This is uh, Paul's words to Titus as he served the church. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. Are you reading ahead? Do you see what it says next? After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Now you've heard me preach many times about the importance of us as a church holding to the truth, right? We're going to be biblical. We're going to avoid false teaching. And if there is a false teacher in our midst who will not repent, we show them the door, right? That's what shepherds are called to do. Your elders are called to do that for you as well. But just as important as it is for our church to avoid false teaching seems to be this other side of things, where God is concerned for the unity and the peace of his church family. And anybody who creates a fissure or division in his church family is strongly rebuked in Scripture. Let's look at the words again from Titus. Verse 10. Warn a divisive person once. And then warn them a second time. There is grace. There is a chance to repent. But after two times of warning, there's no repentance. After that, have nothing to do with him. What? That sounds like that's creating division. Have nothing to do with him? Yeah, 
but this person is ruining an entire church family. And Paul says they need to go. These are strong words for us. And they show us uh, the first point there under four. God is very concerned about peacemaking. Causing division in the church is a serious offense. God is serious about peace. He loves it, and he's not playing around with it. And so we need to be serious about it as well. Now, I don't think our particular church family is inclined to go this way, but some churches may be. The next point says, we are not seeking peace at any cost. Cost. Truth and holiness matter immensely. So, for example, uh, there may be Christians or churches who would be willing to say, Christian thinks that Jesus was not fully God. Evan thinks the Holy Spirit's not fully God. Jake thinks maybe the Bible's partly true but partly false. And Josh just... Uh, Thinks that I don't know. Sorry. I ran out of things. But let's hug. Let's just get along. It's a, you don't think Jesus was God. That's, God bless you. You don't think the Holy Spirit was God. The Bible's false. Will you hug me? Is that what we're called to? That's peace at any cost, right? We'll just be happy together. Don't cause tension. Well, there's things that you cause tension about. There are things that we stand up for, and you can't have peace over that. But then there's things like, should we have wooden pews in our church, or should we have blue padded chairs? Right? Should we have contemporary music, or like Pastor Tom wants, Christian rap? Should we have classical music or hymns? Should pastor wear a coat or a tie, or should he dress down? Should you wear jeans to church? Should we fight about any of that stuff? Absolutely not. There are things that you die for. There are things that you do not. There are things that you break peace over if they are serious enough. There are things that you do not break peace over. And if you do, you're a sinner. If we cause divisions over the small things, God is really concerned about that. So, hopefully between those first two points, we found a balance. <laughs> We're called to uh, seek peace with all of our hearts, but not at any cost. Um, two verses under there, Galatians 1, 6 through 10, 1 Corinthians 4, 9 through 13. Don't have time to look at them but they're there for your study today. Examples of when the New Testament uh, people took, they, they decided that peace had to be broken because of false teaching. It's there for you to check out. Point three. Peacemaking takes hard work. Work. It often involves great amounts of time and effort. Uh, 
oftentimes it will break your heart. You will lose sleep if you care enough to make peace between people. You will want to run away and hide in the woods for a few decades. I have experienced this tension. It involves hard work. I'd like to show you a few verses here. Romans 14, 19. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. The two words to emphasize there is every effort. Wow. How hard are you called to work at making peace? Every effort. That's huge. That's work. That's sweat. How about Ephesians 4.3? every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, one, 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 one. <laughs> one, 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 because that's the basis for our unity. And we have unity objectively in Christ. We have peace already in Christ, but we have to keep it. We have to guard it. We have to protect it from outside demonic influences. We've got to have each other's backs, in other words. And lastly, Hebrews 12, 14. Hebrews 12, 14. Make, everybody say it out loud with me. Every effort to live in peace with all men, and to be holy. Make every effort to live in peace with all men. Now that leads us into our next point, which is exceedingly important for us to grasp this morning. Uh, go back to the book of Romans, chapter 12. The memory verse this week is Matthew 5, 9, because that's the beatitude. That's what launched us into this whole topic today anyway. But this may be, if you want an alternate memory verse, uh, this would be your next choice for an alternate memory verse this week. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Isn't that interesting? What is that suggesting to us? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What does that mean? 
I think it means that there will be circumstances where you make every effort to seek peace with somebody who is mad at you, or the church seeks peace with somebody who is mad at the church. You take every effort, and they still refuse peace. As far as it depends on you, you be a peacemaker. Don't you ever be the reason for splitting people up. Don't you ever cause a brother or sister to stumble. Reach out, try, love, pray, care. But at the end of the day, they may walk away. And they may be angry with you for the next 20 years. What can you do about that? You can keep praying. You can keep trying once in a while. But some people will refuse to be reconciled. And that's another thing that will tear your heart out and hurt a lot. I have experienced that. And you probably have too. So we make every effort. But it's not guaranteed. This next one, let's see, we've got four to go. Peacemaking will only work if you are impartial and unbiased. Impartial and unbiased. Imagine a Barnabas who comes into the situation. Paul is divided from the church. Church is divided from Paul. And Barnabas comes in and says, you know, these uh, Christians in Jerusalem, they're a bunch of knuckleheads. Paul, you don't even need them. You know, why don't you just go preach the gospel? You don't need peace with the Jerusalem church. Just go on. Has any peace happened there? If we have bias in a situation, if we're not objective, if we can't see and empathize with both sides, forget it. It's done before you've started. So we need to truly love both parties. Or if it's us against another party, we need to try to see things from their perspective. Why are they hurt? Why are they mad at me? What is going on? Is it just because they're a jerk? Well, maybe once in a while, <laughs> but usually not. Usually, it's not that Tom has something 100% right, and this person is 0% right, and he just needs to grow up. It's usually more like a 40, 60, 60, 40, 70, 30, 30, 70 kind of thing, right? We're all sinners, so we have to be unbiased. Try to be unbiased and see it from the other person's point of view. Bless you. James 3 talks all about that. Uh, let's turn to James 3 because we need to for the next point. Hebrews, James. There's a contrast in these verses between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. 
earthly wisdom, even though it sounds really pretty, has its source in the devil. And heavenly wisdom has its source from God. Um, let's back up to verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then what? Peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Just to emphasize the point here, he goes on and says, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. In other words, there are huge benefits to seeking peace. Huge benefits for you, for the church, for God's kingdom. Looking at uh, chapter 4, verse 1 right there in James, gets us to our next point. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Whew. Why is there quarrels? Why are there fights? Why are there quarrels in my household? Josh wants this new uh, funky bracelet that you take off and it makes a shape. You seen those? make a dog or a kangaroo or a bird or something. And would you know that Anna wanted that same bracelet just yesterday? It all comes from these desires within us. And we big people have them in there. We have desires that scream out and we want things a certain way. We have our preferences. We have our agenda. And if we let that reign supreme, ouch, it's going to hurt somebody. So peacemaking will only work if you can master your inner desires. If you hear yourself saying things like, I like this and I prefer this if you say those words a lot take a check <laughs> you know if God says to us you must do this then that's a different thing and we say we must do this because it's obedient 
I will follow God's will because that's obedience. But if it's commonly on my lips that I say, yeah, but I like, or I prefer, check yourself. Unless it doesn't involve anybody else. <laughs> then you can prefer something. Right? We all have preferences. We all have desires. But when it's in the context of other people, we need to check them, as James would tell us. The second to the last one, peacemaking involves knowing when to open and close your... <laughs> I didn't put big on there. Uh, just mouth. Yeah, mouth. Um, we could study James about this. We could study the Proverbs about this. But um, it's almost like there is two steps to this peace process. On the one hand, uh, you can be a peacekeeper. That's keeping the peace that's already there, right? Can you see that? That's a little bit more passive. That's like um, people are talking about different preferences that they have about something, and you have a definite opinion on that topic. It's like Thanksgiving dinner where all the family starts talking politics. Oh, if I say the name of the word Democrat or Republican, that's just going to send him through the roof. So what do you do? You want to enjoy your Thanksgiving dinner, right? So you just... There's a place for that sometimes. Just zip the lip and kind of go like this. No. There's a place for zipping the lip. So if we can learn simply when to close our mouths, we can go a long way toward being peacekeepers. But if we want to be peace seekers, which is not quite as passive, but even more aggressive, then we have to know when to open our mouths appropriately. Well, you know, Mom, there's probably some good qualities about that candidate as well as this one. Now, I understand you agree with this person more, but this candidate probably has some virtues. It's not angel Satan. <laughs> you know, you can speak words into a situation that will help somebody to settle down and to see it in a more objective way and to see that people are not demons or angels. Usually we're kind of a mixture of good and bad. So you can speak words of peace. If we can learn how to open and close our mouths at the right time and in the right way, that will go a long way toward making us peace keepers and peace seekers. About 40 pastors and denominational leaders in Michigan squeezed into a relatively small conference room. Forty pastors and denominational leaders in Michigan squeezed into a very small conference room. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> All these different denominations with different views on things. They had to discuss urgent and somewhat controversial matters. It didn't take long for the discussion to escalate. Volumes increased. Tones grew. Edges. 
Observations teeter dangerously close to accusations. Fittingly, lightning flashed through the windows, followed seconds later by thunder heralding a coming storm. In the midst of the battle, a distinguished African-American pastor stood slowly, intentionally so. As he rose, the noise from the people shrank. Everyone knew him as Brother Rochelle. His demeanor commanded respect. Brother Rochelle scanned the room for a good five seconds, and then, with a voice trembling with compassion, he spoke slowly and carefully. Oh, my dear children. He's saying this to pastors. Oh, my dear children. He stopped, as did the thunder. It was as though Brother Rochelle had paused to wait for the Spirit of God to prepare the ears and the hearts of every single individual in the room. When he spoke again, it was not a lengthy speech. He quoted a single Bible verse many of us had memorized as children in Sunday school class. Be ye kind one to another. Each word dripped with compassion. Tender-hearted. He continued, looking around the room as if to convey just how much he loved every single one of us, the pastors. Forgiving one another. When he sat down, we all sat in silence, brought about by the power of an aptly word spoken. The storm passed, attitudes shifted, peace reigned, the meeting continued in the spirit of brotherly love. This is interesting, it's uh, from a person named Clark Cothern from Ypsilanti, uh, am I saying that right? Ypsilanti, Michigan. Brother Rochelle was a peacemaker. And you'd like to think that pastors would be exceptionally good at peacemaking. Not always the case, because they have very strong opinions on things. A word aptly spoken. Finally, and lastly, peacemaking is worth it because it yields beautiful results. Results. And hopefully you stayed right there in James chapter 3, verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. If you sow in peace, if you pursue peace, if you love peace, and especially in the church family, if you hate causing division, you hate causing any kind of a split and you are an instrument of healing you will further the cause of Christ in amazing ways because he loves peace and he's your father <laughs>